0: the gospel of john series or finishing up the gospel of john series and we are in john chapter 21 this morning now in john chapter 21 we kind of get this afterthought afterward we kind of get this 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 last kind of addendum to the gospel and i was thinking about this and i was thinking about how sometimes we can build up in our mind something so big that it's impossible to meet those expectations so that's the question I have for you in the room and and for you online Have you ever have, do you have any examples of when expectations didn't quite meet reality well, there's those moments? I think about this in my life, you know before we had kids when Heidi my wife and I would go out It would be a whole thing. It would be freedom We would just go to dinner and maybe we if it was nice out, we'd stay outside Maybe we'd go to another place to get dessert or a drink. It would just be this whole thing, right? This is what date night consists of now, right? date night consists of now all of this hope and excitement and just we are finally going to just really enjoy ourselves and what it turns out is that I'm rushing home because I had to swing by Little Caesars because apparently that's the only pizza my kids like and it's cardboard but I get the pizza I come home I get the kids situated Heidi's still getting ready then I got to get ready now the kids are upset because we're gonna leave the sitter comes in they're the hero and we're like we are the ones that bought the pizza why aren't you excited for us and then We get out the door. It's a whole thing. We get to the restaurant We gotta wait the waiter's rude all this stuff and at 830 We find ourselves in the target parking lot and home right after that Because the expectations are a little bit different than reality Uh, Maybe for you it was with with uh, life in general You you get a job and you have this expectation that this is going to be a good fit or when you became an adult I'm gonna have all this freedom and then bills start coming in the mail our, you think about it this way in terms of like pop culture or a book or a movie or a, a TV show? There's so much hype about the finale. There's so much hype about the next installment And there's a trailer that comes out a year in advance. You're so excited. you're So excited There's no way that that thing could possibly live up to the hype and It's kind of this letdown It's kind of this letdown where it's just not what we had hoped it would be and I don't know about you but Thursday I had this incredible hope that there were monkeys loose in Price Hill. (laughs) Think about that. I woke up, I got a a news alert on my phone. I don't have very many notifications on my phone because it can just turn into a whole thing. And I got a news alert from a national thing that said, monkeys are loose in the west side of Cincinnati. And then whether it was Friday or whenever it was, and I heard, oh, it was just some elaborate hoax. First off, that's hilarious, well done. Secondly, if I was one of the cops who was searching that cemetery, I'd be a little mad. And thirdly, I kind of wish there really were monkeys loose in Cincinnati. I think that's one of those things. But those, those moments where it's kind of this letdown, right? Like, oh, that would have been so fun. That would have such a crazy story. I would have so enjoyed that. Maybe for you it's vacation. Maybe it's for you it's your, your big plans for a day off. Maybe it's you. You're going to have a, a list, a to-do list on Monday morning, and you're going to knock all those things out, and you don't quite get there. And I think something like that that feeling of a letdown is happening here in John chapter 21 think about it this way The resurrection has happened The resurrection has happened, but we know because we talked about this last few weeks the disciples weren't quite Quick on the uptake here. It took them a while to believe It took them a while to finally get to that point where they were going to trust the women who were saying that the tomb was empty They even go and they have these experiences at the empty tomb. Jesus appears to them and it still feels like they are kind of struggling, maybe not with belief that this actually happened, but all of the implications. We can acknowledge that something happens. We can acknowledge something is great, but sometimes we have a hard time getting our head around the what now. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? And then realize that there's some tension amongst the disciples. There's some tension amongst the disciples. I think there's some guilt. I know there's some guilt. We read this. Because not everyone conducted themselves between Thursday when Jesus was arrested and Sunday when he was risen from the dead. Not everyone conducted themselves as they intended or they had planned. Thomas doubts. Judas betrays. Peter denies. John apparently was the only one who was there at the cross, at Golgotha. He was the only one there. And even after the reports of the resurrection, we find them in hiding. So we get this postscript from John. John could kind of end at chapter 20, but we get 21. We get chapter 21, and we see that there is this kind of aftermath. There is this aftermath. Now remember, John is writing a gospel knowing, proudly, proudly aware of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's read these he's heard these he knows what they're saying. This is something that he is adding on I think really intentionally. He's saying this hasn't been captured this story hasn't been captured and I have to tell it and I have to tell it Now this chapter John chapter 21 for me personally is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible It's up there with Luke 15 the three stories about the lost coin the lost sheep and the lost son or the prodigal son because in John chapter 21 this is one of my favorites because we see the human realities of following Jesus. We see what it's like to put everything on the line and fail. We get to see what Jesus does with this. We get to see how God reacts. So we're going to read John chapter 21 together. And it'll be on the screen and also follow along. But we're going to start there in verse 1 of John chapter 21. I want to pay attention. Let's look let's read this together afterward jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of galilee now pause there sea of galilee about a hundred miles north of jerusalem they were in jerusalem they have returned home they have kind of gone back to their home base where they were it happened this way simon peter thomas also known as didymus nathaniel from cana and galilee the sons of zebedee and two other disciples were together so just about everyone who's remaining is here I'm going out to fish Simon Peter told them and they said we'll go with you So they went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing I think a couple things are going on here I think so a couple of things are going on here first off, of course You're in this place and you're confused and everything else and like the the cherry on top of the junk Sunday That is their life right now the confusion and the doubt and the guilt is they don't even catch any fish But I think there's this moment where Peter says i'm going out to fish and everyone else says we'll go with you I think it's this moment. Maybe you've experienced this when there's grief when there's confusion you kind of Stick together you kind of huddle up. Let's get with our people with our group. We gotta we gotta stay together I think you could also make the argument that maybe there's a there's an element We don't want to we don't want peter to do something to harm himself We don't want peter to do something to harm himself He has all this guilt about denying jesus three times in public once to a teenage girl We gotta watch him Because he's fragile right now and we know that he does things impetuously So here they are they're confused. I think they're afraid of the implications Not because jesus is, is, is resurrected. I think they're on board with that They're confused and afraid about the implications and ways in which they didn't conduct themselves. Well They've left Jerusalem. I think this is right before the Great Commission is given by Jesus in Matthew 28 And we read on the next verse in 21 Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them friends. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered He said throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some when they did They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish now I think this is a callback remember john has read the other gospels. He's aware of them There's this story in luke where peter becomes a disciple uh, Jesus is there on the shoreline in this general area. He's there on the shoreline and He's teaching and there's a crowd forming so picture in your mind You're on the beach and there's a crowd forming. It's a rocky very narrow beach probably and so jesus finds a boat Peter's boat gets in it kind of goes out off the shore a little bit so he can preach and talk to more people And in that moment as he's finishing up Peter seems to be annoyed with Jesus Luke tells us now here's this guy He's saying all this stuff. I got to work. I got a job to do I didn't catch any fish and while they're out there In the middle of the day in the heat of the day time when you're not going to fish Jesus tells them to throw their nets in he says fine We'll do that and they haul up this huge catch of fish. I think john is giving us a, a call back here He's pointing out that jesus is doing something again Look what peter does when he realizes It's peter or it's jesus It says, then the disciple whom jesus loved said to peter it is the lord As soon as Simon peter heard him say it is the lord He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish For they were not far from shore about a hundred yards when they landed They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread Did you catch there at the front? It wasn't peter who realized that was jesus first. It was the disciple whom jesus loved which is how john refers to himself We pointed out last week all these times three different times where john points out that peter is slower than him The old man can't keep up. There's a little bit of tension there And once again, john kind of throws peter under the bus say I figured it out first then peter did and because he's like this impetuous golden retriever type of guy he jumps into the water a hundred yards short of shore to swim to jesus they get the shore and of course there's this incredible moment there's a fire there's fish grilling over them there's bread you know, think about this, you've been, you've been coming back from a day of work, you put yourself in their spot where these disciples are, you've been coming back and you haven't caught any fish at this point, you didn't have this miraculous catch, and you think, we're going to get back there and there's going to be nothing to eat, we're going to have to get a fire going, we're going to have to set up camp, all these things, and they come back and Jesus has set things up. Now if you've never cooked over a fire, there's, there's something magical about it, there's something that kind of draws you in, whether it's hot dogs or marshmallows or, or something like that, it kind of just draws you in. I think there's something beautiful about that that this is how Jesus comes and interacts with them in the resurrected form. In John chapter 21 it continues it says Jesus said to them bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him who are you. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to him and did the same with the fish This is now the third time jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead Now there's a few things about this. It's odd, isn't it that they mentioned the number of fish 153 and there's there's all kinds of theories and speculation about what that means and, and numbers do have meaning in the scriptures And like could this be a signification of of god's work? Maybe I don't know But I think what's clear is, is I think John is including this detail for one of two reasons. One, it was either a clear metaphor, a clear nod to somebody who was hearing this early on, right? This is some sort of kind of, not sort of an inside joke, but kind of a way to kind of, hey, there's something bigger going on here, and we just missed that. We don't get that. Or that's how many fish they caught, and John's just recording it. Or maybe it's just, that's what happened, and yeah, it's ridiculous, and yeah, it's kind of a weird number that sticks out in your head, but that's what happened, as amazed as they were. Now, in this moment, I want you to think about this. If you had experienced this, if you had experienced this, wouldn't you know every detail? If you had experienced this, John concludes, concludes his interactions with the resurrected Jesus here. Wouldn't you remember every moment? When do you remember every moment? Do you remember the details of your first date with your spouse? If you you work out, you know what your max is. That number sticks in your head. If you're a runner, you know your personal best. I remember the first time I dunked a basketball. Something I can't do anymore. But I remember the first time I dunked a basketball. I remember the details. I remember what was going on. I remember everything. It's in these little moments, these little moments that stick out. And John records it what I love about this whole experience is that Jesus is connecting with the people that he loves he didn't just show up and say hey I got something to tell you he shows up and he tells them how to catch a miraculous catch of fish he shows up and he prepares them breakfast he throws a fish fry for them he builds a fire and he invites them in and there's this moment where they're just kind of sitting around the fire I think they're in this kind of silence they just don't know what to say they, they, they can't believe it and notice this in your life in my life there are times when we come to jesus and we know there's something wrong what jesus does first is not correct jesus first connects with us the first thing that jesus does is connect with us. This is kind of a parenting maxim. That's that's been really helpful for me You've got to connect before you correct, right? You got to get on their level You got to speak their terms. You got to you got to communicate that hey you are loved But you're being an idiot, right? But you can't go backwards You can't flip that, you know, because they're not going to hear you Jesus first comes in and he says i'm going to connect with you. I'm going to share a meal with you I'm going to do these things that are familiar to you because I want you to remember that I love you Jesus connects first They finish up their breakfast And there's that awkward moment There's that awkward moment like Jesus you've connected with us. You've given all this this Now what are you gonna tell us? Maybe as a kid you, you knew you had messed up and the teacher had called home or sent a note home or or the neighbor was Was telling on you or whatever it was? And I remember those times when that would happen to me coming home And not wanting to face my dad it's just, I know this is going to be tough. I know I'm going to get in trouble. I know I'm going to get grounded. I know things are going to be taken away. I just, uh, I just that, that, that waiting was really, really tough. I think that's what's going on with the disciples. They're kind of, all right, Jesus, let us have it. We know we screwed up. We know we messed up. We know we, we, we denied. We know that we doubted. We know that we're afraid. I think what they're ultimately asking here, especially Peter, is Jesus, are you mad at me? And if we're honest, we've asked that question too. God, are you mad at me? Jesus, are you mad at me? Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, Simon, he doesn't call him Peter. That's kind of odd. There's this moment where Jesus kind of renames Peter and gives it meaning. But Why is he calling by his original name the name that he was known as when jesus first met him? He's calling back saying hey, let's start over Simon son of peter son of john. Let's let's start over. That's how I knew you When I first met you, let's go back to that. Let's connect there and let's ask the basic Elemental vital question. Do you love me? That's not surprising that this would happen it's not surprising that jesus would do this it's not surprising that peter the impetuous one who drew his sword as jesus was being arrested and cut off the ear of one of the guards it's not surprising that this peter who denies jesus denies knowing him three times within earshot would say the following yes lord he said you know that i love you jesus said feed my lambs Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I love the symmetry here. Peter denies Jesus three times. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And in response, he gives him mission. He gives him an action. He says, go and do this. But now Peter is is kind of dense sometimes, right? Because we're dense sometimes. Peter's the one who's exasperated and saying, "You're, you're God on earth. You know everything. You're the Messiah. You came back from the dead. You know that I love you. So Jesus has to go a little further and, and kind of continue to explain things and he goes on. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, we don't have hard historical evidence of this, but church tradition says that Peter had a chance to get away from his execution. Peter was gonna be martyred. He was gonna be killed. He was gonna be executed. He was gonna be hung on a Roman cross. And it's, the story goes as Peter is walking away, as he is leaving, he encounters Jesus. He has a vision. He has a, an angelic moment. He has a moment where he encounters Jesus, and Jesus is walking the other direction. And Peter, according to church legend, says he stopped, he turns he says, My Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified again. And so Peter, John tells us that, that Jesus tells Peter, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. So Peter turns around, goes where he doesn't want to go. And he goes and he turns himself in. And he says, no, I'll be crucified, but turn that cross upside down because I, you cannot dig this, I can't, I can't even begin to get on that level of what Jesus did. It would not be right to be crucified as my Lord was. You will be led to where you don't want to go. I think Peter is bracing for punishment here. He is bracing for the punishment. He's bracing for the correction that Jesus is going to give him. But what does he give him? He gives him this instruction. He gives him this hope. He says, follow me. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. He tells them that hard things are going to come. He tells them that, that life will not easy. He says, to follow me see jesus comes back to the disciples jesus comes back to the disciples the disciples who doubted who betrayed who denied who fled who were in hiding he comes back to the disciples and he doesn't correct them he doesn't come he doesn't come and 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 talk about their mistakes because here's the truth our mistakes don't disqualify us our mistakes don't disqualify us from the kingdom of God. Our mistakes don't disqualify us from being used by God. The greatest sinners in history are some of the greatest followers of Jesus. Our mistakes, your mistakes, my mistakes, my regrets, your regrets don't disqualify us. In fact, it is through our mistakes that grace is shown. It is through our mistakes It is through our mistakes that god's work is shown is evident to those around us Jesus is saying that this is what it looks like to forgive. This is what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of god This is what it looks like it's grace And then it's mission it's forgiveness and then it's action it's restoration And then partnership See people aren't hopeless They're paid for Mistakes aren't ignored. They're redeemed. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. But again, Peter is dense. So he responds to Jesus. And anytime you see Peter responding to Jesus, get ready for him to put his foot in his mouth. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, this rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say you would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? Then the disciple who testified to these things and who wrote them down, we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And that's how the Gospel of John ends. The Gospel of John ends. And we don't know what they do with this. We know from the book of Acts, we know from the rest of the New Testament what happens. But the Gospel of John ends here. The Gospel of John ends here, and we see this invitation to follow Jesus. We see this invitation to accept forgiveness and begin following Jesus, to begin this mission, to be taking part in what God has for us. We see this, and it ends here. The Bible has a a pattern of doing this. If you read the Bible, you will notice there are times when a book will end, and it's very open-ended. We don't know how it ends. The book of Jonah is a classic example. The book ends and jonah hasn't made a decision what he's going to do with the fact that god's love and god's mercy was showered on a city that jonah hated in this story in this gospel account we have this open-ended moment the disciples are forgiven what are they going to do with it and i think it's a call to the hearer to the reader to us to say what are we going to do with it how are we going to respond because what's the goal that john is trying to achieve here he's trying to produce belief in us i think if we are going to reduce this down to a simple formula which is usually a bad idea but th- stick with me here it's this the, the gospel of john is about belief a belief a faith if you will that leads to grace this this moment where we are restored where we are forgiven and it's not because we did anything right or because we were so smart or so so wise we are forgiven and that leads to mission Because here's the absurdity of the of christianity here's the absurdity of following jesus when we are forgiven we are given a mission when we are experienced faith when we are experienced forgiveness and grace we are then invited in to take part in the kingdom of god i remember when i first got serious about my faith when i first got serious about my faith it was when i was 17 years old and i had had this this tragic experience of a friend commit, who committed suicide and it was this series of events and it wasn't this you know snap your fingers and I went from night to day and and changed all my behavior and all my all what I did and I wasn't like a bad kid I did a lot of stereotypical stupid stuff I, I did a lot of things I lied a lot and I, I approached relationships in a very just selfish way and, and I was at this point in my life where I feel like God used this tragedy to kind of wake me up, to kind of get hold of me, right? And, and in the aftermath of that, I, I cut a lot of people off. There were a lot of friends, I just, I gotta I got be done with you. Now, I, in the moment, and in hindsight, I think that was the right decision because there were some things about those relationships that just weren't helpful, they weren't healthy. But understand this, when we have those moments where we are following Jesus, And the first thing we think of is that we've got to remove this from my life and we got to start following this list That is not of God Those may be helpful healthy things Those may be good things that that help you of of saying there are some things I just need to avoid There's some things I need some people. I just need to have some distance. that may be good But that is not what God is asking of us That is not what God is asking of us. That is not how this works Because the pattern that I was embracing the the other formula is this It's action I've got to clean up my life. I've got to stop these behaviors. I've got to make amends all really good things, right? But I thought if I do those things, then I can cleanly come to God Then I can be totally and completely forgiven then I will be worthy of God's love for me I will earn my grace I will earn my forgiveness it will really take hold which will then lead to some sort of true faith some sort of higher plane i'll be better than everyone else and that's how the competitive josh at 17 at 21 at 25 at 26 or 27 28 29 30 and on and on and on that's how i screw this up that's how i miss the gospel We experience belief we say yes to jesus in that in that moment i believe the scriptures say that we are forgiven completely and totally and from there we are then invited in in the most absurd thing imaginable to somehow take part in god's grand work of redemption that he's been doing since the beginning and the gospel of john ends it ends here because we don't need to know what peter does with this we don't need to know what john himself does with these experiences because we know we can see that in this moment they have been fully completely forgiven and they've accepted it they have come to a place of belief that believing that jesus could really do this that jesus does really come back to life and what that means is that grace is there. And then from there we are able to move forward. So we know how this ends because of how it starts. So what does this look like for you? Maybe you're one of those people like me that you you like to make a list. You're one of those people that like to get things kind of nice and neat. You are one of those people that loves a spreadsheet. You know all about the task manager apps out there, you know about all the productivity systems And you say I can just Achieve this I can get to that point. I'll be good Or maybe you're one of those free spirits and You say well, it just feels just be fine and everything's good And hey, we'll just get along we'll be good and all this fun stuff and great And the, the funny thing is is that these two archetypes are usually married to each other, right? But what we find wherever you find yourself in that camp or somewhere in between Whether you're this free spirit that just says everything's gonna be okay Or whether you're someone who's driven and I got to pursue this and I got to do this to earn this Jesus comes to you He says do you love me If we say yes, he says follow me He doesn't say Go get things figured out and then follow me. He doesn't say, go and make sure you've got everything locked down and then follow me. He doesn't say, come follow me, but just for the things you like. Just for the teachings that are comfortable for you. He doesn't say, you can get rid of that love your enemy stuff. You can get rid of that whole idea of, of, of being generous and open-handed and maybe selling everything you have and give it to the poor. You can do away with all of these hard teachings that you have a hard time reconciling. No, he doesn't say that he says follow me now it's already happening so if you if you're in a place if you are in a place where you feel like i need to say yes to jesus and maybe you have already but you say i need to restate that i need to return and come back to that this is what you would do wherever you're at here in the room online you would say a simple prayer. Because of course it's a simple prayer. We asked Jesus how to pray and he gives us about 30 lines. He gives us about 90 seconds of a prayer. That simple prayer would be this. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came, you died, and you rose again. And I want to follow you. And if you pray that, if you say that, We don't need to worry about the end of the story we don't need to worry about the end of the story because you've been forgiven and you've been given opportunity to participate in the grandest most beautiful most absurd redemption imaginable as you follow jesus let's pray god thank you for the fact that we have these words